Greetings, Alpha Seekers. It's it's the weekend, and you know what that means. Uh, another exciting episode of the uh, New Jim Ventures Alpha Seeker podcast. So, uh, I've actually got some uh, material that kind of piled up and I forgot about. Uh, so, I'm going to cover that today from the Week magazine. But, um, obviously, things have gone incredibly south in Afghanistan, and the more you read about it, the worse it is. You know, this was a bad idea when Trump thought it up, and it's a bad idea now that Biden has implemented it. I mean, I know everybody's wanted to get out of here forever, but, you know, somebody said the enemy gets a vote, you know. And uh, we're going to regret what we've done here for a long time. Uh, they just beheaded a guy who was a comedian. So the that idea of the stand-up comedy club in, in Kabul is... I've taken that off my harebrained scheme to make money list. Uh, these guys don't have a real good sense of humor, you know. So, uh, anyway, moving on... Uh, one thing I talked to my financial guy because I am worried that there's going to be a big crunch here in the fall, in October, and uh, I was going to go out and buy some puts, and puts are basically protection against your portfolio, and I've got some margin. Well, he talked me down from the ledge on that, but that what I'm thinking is one of the books Jim Cramer wrote has a, a formula on how to recover from a big drop. And if I recall correctly, involves buying deep in the money puts on the S&P or what have you. So if I do get a, a margin call that get, makes me sell at the bottom, what I'm planning on doing, if I can pull it off, is to buy some deep in the money calls on the S&P, try to time them for whenever you think it's going to bounce back, because I do think it'll bounce back. And I think U.S. equities are where it will. Because if you read, I put a post out on, uh, I think it was Facebook. Or no, I didn't put the post out. But what it was saying was that China is basically adapting like a Bernie Sanders program. Um, to They want a common prosperity, which means they're going to beat up a lot on the uh, billionaires and... Uh, beat up a lot on tech. So these China stocks are basically, in my mind, uninvestable. So I think that a lot of money that's normally gone into those kinds of equities are going to go into U.S. equities because for the moment we're safer from that kind of government essentially leveling of the uh, wealth. I mean... I think the ideal world for the social justice Democrats is, you know, everybody who votes gets an equal piece of the economy. So, you know, they could care less, obviously, about Afghanis and such. And, you know, I mean, honestly, who who in America really does, you know, care about 7 billion people around the world? Uh, most of us care about ourselves and our family and our friends, and then perhaps... Uh, perhaps our fellow Americans, but there's concentric circles of concern, and um, the the concern weakens as 
distance prevails. And for for the Democrats, uh, and for Republicans, I guess, for that matter, you know, if you don't vote, who cares? So I actually think that the Republicans at this point care more about people who don't vote overseas, but they just want them to stay overseas. So, uh, but AOC wants to get 200,000 immigrants from Afghanistan, and that leaves the other 600 or 60 million people, I guess, screwed. Well, uh, now this is from August 27th, which sounds contemporary, but it's actually the last edition, I think, of the Week magazine. So in Talking Points, the Democrats infighting over infrastructure is pretty much over. Um, and it talks about the success or failure of Joe Biden's presidency being at stake. So it says Ed Kilgore in New York Magazine. Well, I think that it's his administration has already a failure. I think this this thing is just going to swamp him. Especially, you know, it's not going to be just, okay, we're done, we're out. Every time there's a news story, in fact, from a press point of view, the best thing that could happen to Biden is that uh, the news media get out. But if the Taliban publicizes what they're doing over there, then, you know, the press is going to cover it on YouTube, all the beheadings and such. And then to the extent that we have blowback terrorism domestically or elsewhere, you know, it's just going to be a slow drip, death by a thousand cuts. And the Republicans will make sure that that gets promoted. Let's see, what else? Uh, Jamel Bowie in the New York Times wants to end the filibuster. Well, good luck with that. So breakthrough cases, uh, according to, this is COVID, or other enemy. I just looked up, you know, I was wondering, why, why doesn't COVID affect the Taliban, you know? And it does. Apparently they're worried about it. So... I don't know if they're socially distancing. <laughs> doesn't look like it, or wearing masks. Well, they want hijabs and these whatever for women, so I guess that helps. But, um, so David Wallace says in terms of breakthrough cases, and of course we're having a party tonight, which is stupid, you know, in an enclosed space, but, you know, into the valley of death we go. Um, According to Mayo, Pfizer vaccine efficiency against COVID-19 infection has fallen 42% to fall fallen to 42%. Uh, but the vaxes remain highly effective against the possibility of mortality. Uh, breakthrough cases are 20% of infections, 35,000 symptomatic uh, breakthrough cases per week nationally. So the breakthrough problem is much more concerning than what our public health officials have transmitted, according to Eric Topol, who I respect, who's a researcher at Scripps out in California. Let's see. The Michael Siegel in the Wall Street Journal, who's a doctor, I presume, of medicine, says there are different types of immunity. Vaccines injected into muscles stimulate internal immunity, but not mucosal immunity therefore you can get this infection in the nose and mouth Uh, you may get mildly sick but the immune system quickly recognizes and fights off the invader to keep it from attacking the lungs and other organs so i've read some things about nasal vaccines which may be uh, 
there's some kind of nasal therapies that may help defeat it in the nasal cavity in the mucus, but that remains to be seen. Uh, the unvaccinated still account for 97.3% of U.S. COVID deaths. So, you know, it's Darwinian, folks. Delta has changed your risk calculations if you don't even want to get a modest version of COVID, which I don't. So I'll be wearing a mask tonight, even though it's not a Halloween party. Um Wear a mask in crowded indoor spaces. There are a few definitive answers, according... This is David Leonhardt in the New York Times, who's a layperson, I think. Uh, except that the one lesson is it's better to be vaxxed than not vaxxed. Here's from Wit Wisdom, which is the quote section. We do survive every moment, after all, except the last one. Good point, man. He didn't survive that last one. Neither did Charlie Watts. Uh, the human metronome, drummer for the Rolling Stones, Ave Atke Valley Charlie. Aldous Huxley said the men that men do not learn very much from lessons of history is the most important of all lessons that history has to teach, which is why we keep, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and now we're repeating those 60s and 70s mistakes in this country over and over. Einstein said, if A is success in life, then A equals X, Y, and Z. Work is X, play is Y, and Z is keeping your mouth shut. So I may have to stop the podcast. But every time I try to get out, you, you list loyal listeners pull me back in, like Michael Corleone. Watch The Godfather and Godfather Part 2 again for the umpteenth time this weekend. I'm watching Patton right now. Boy, Patton hated the 20th century. (laughs) You can imagine what he'd think of the 21st. Now, here's a key quote. When everyone is somebody, then no one is anybody. So said dramatist W.S. Gilbert. And that's the trouble with socialism. Everybody wants to be somebody. But when everyone is somebody, then no one is anybody. So people always want something that other people don't have. That's just life. That's what drives the whole reproductive mating dance, which thankfully I'm past. Here's the poll watch. 69% of Americans support mandatory masking in schools, including me. 92% of Democrats, 67% of Independents, 44% of Republicans. 64% are in favor of state and local governments requiring masks to be worn in public spaces. I'm in favor of that, less strongly. 33% support state laws like Florida's that ban local governments from mandating masks. And this was clever of uh, the governor down there, DeSantis, who has presidential aspirations. I think he probably knew when he uh, passed this law or whatever it was, prohibiting local uh, governments from having mask mandates, he probably knew it was unconstitutional. So he gets to take that stand to to throw some red meat to the base without having to deal with the casualties once the Supreme Court declares it unconstitutional. The Florida Supreme Court, I believe it was. 
55% support companies requiring all employees to be vaccinated. I support that, too. So I'm kind of a hawk on this. And here's on the Afghanistan fiasco. The Daily Times in Pakistan. History could well remember this week as the pivot point when the American empire lost its luster. And I was thinking about this. If if you look at this back to 9-11, I mean, the Pakistanis have been very close with Al-Qaeda. They are a Muslim uh, state. And I think they've used Al-Qaeda all along. And I think they probably are the source of the money that paid these Afghan army troops to melt away. So... This whole thing can be looked at as a Pakistani operation, uh, primarily against India, but also against the United States and the West and Christianity. Now, here's another one. Mosharraf Zaidi in the international news from Pakistan says, the Americans will seek a scapegoat and Pakistan is making it easier for them to blame us. Pakistani generals and even government ministers have gloated openly about the U.S. defeat and their admiration for the Taliban is clear. Given that Pakistan was a key player in the peace talks in Qatar, the U.S. will likely claim that Pakistan was double-dealing all along, which they've been. Yeah, Khan Coughlin says that is true. Um... The speed of the Taliban takeover speaks to the support... Both military and political militants receive from their allies, Pakistan chief amongst them. Pakistani intelligence has kept up its insidious influence over the tribal border territories where the Taliban flourish, and Prime Minister Imran Khan's endorsement of the militants has earned him the nickname Taliban Khan. Meanwhile, Iran's revolutionary guards, pursuing the enemy of my enemy is my friend approach, have let equipment and supplies flow to the Taliban from Iran, and Moscow welcomes any conclusion that leads to the humiliation of its Western adversaries. So for those who think that the Trump uh, administration was part of a Russian plot to weaken the United States, you can get on that bus. This was a global battle for influence in one of the world's key strategic locations in the West lost. I don't know if Afghanistan is a key strategic location or not, but it does have a lot of natural resources, minerals like lithium and copper. So if we had any brains, we would have been working on that and vowed to stay there to, you know, uh, have a an economic uh, gain from the occupation. But we don't do that. I guess it's tough to mine because of all the terrorism, but, you know, we've done it in harder places than that. They have rare earths, too, which China already has a monopoly on. So the Chinese are in there taking advantage of our withdrawal. Vladimir Snegirov and uh, Roskaya Gazeta in Russia says, why should... Uh, the average Afghani fight for a regime that hasn't the slightest authority among the people. Uh, the government of Ashraf Ghani was seen as a band of corrupt American puppets. Afghans have always despised collaborators 
and any U.S.-backed government was doomed from the outset, which argues against nation-building. The ramifications of this U.S. loss are dire, says Vince Cable in The Independent UK. Biden administration's credibility is shredded, I think, domestically and internationally as well. China and Russia are likely to push their advantage by trying to claim territory in the South China Sea, in Ukraine, and the Baltics. The Americans will then be tempted to overreact to prove they haven't lost their mojo. Now that weakness of the superpower is exposed, the world has become a more dangerous place. So there's just no, no, nothing good about it. I mean, if I was writing the talking points for the Democrats, I would probably say, look, you know, look at all the people who died and it only cost us 300 to stop the killing that we can be held responsible for. So that's the only positive spin I can think about it. And it's pretty good, I think. But, you know, there's an article about Brazil here. Uh, Bol- Bolsonaro was a real disaster. He likes to uh, defend Israelis because it gets in evangelical voters who believe the return of the Jews to the Holy Land is an essential catalyst for the second coming. And the Republicans play that game, too. Brazilian Jews rightly denounce his flirtations with fascism, and they know that loving Israel doesn't mean loving or even tolerating actual Jews. Well, there are actual Jews in Israel, but I get it, you know. Uh, His advisors make white power signs on camera which shows you the complexity of race. You would think Brazil is all people of color, Hispanics, Latinos, but in reality, you've got the descendants of the Spanish conquistadors as well as the negra and all that. It's not as simple as our woke friends would have you believe. But his slogan is Brazil above all, which is a lot like Deutschland über alles. And of course, the boys in Brazil, you know, there are some Nazis and probably their descendants now in Brazil and elsewhere in South America. Popular destination for the U-boats when the rat lines got the Nazis out. Uh, why Siberia is going up in flames by Georgi, Georgi Boft, I believe, Boft, who is writing for expert.ru, so he is a Russian. I took Russian in high school. Just in case they won, I wanted to be ready. So uh, this kind of makes a mockery of this whole green movement. It's a self-reinforcing feedback loop, I noted in this article. So you got 3.3 million acres of flame, uh, and Russia's not doing a good job of forest management, which is what Trump said about the U.S. Uh, Siberia doesn't have natural river fire breaks found in Finland. Uh, failed to build man-made breaks such as roads. Attempt that such protective measures were abandoned thanks to the Forest Code of 2006, which Putin uh, passed to save cash while shunting responsibilities from for forests from the federal government in Russia to the provinces. The results have been catastrophic. So there's nothing we can do about that. And, you know, the forest burns... And the greenhouse, uh, you know, the trees are gone, so they're not doing the recycling of NO2 into oxygen like they're 
That's our secret natural weapon against this global warming. So this is really a mess. Um, Noted here under talking points, Fox News has had Ron DeSantis on a bunch, so they're kind of touting him as the new Trump or the next GOP candidate for president. The U.S. economy grew 12.2% last quarter, first time since 1990 we grew faster than China, which only grew 8%, and that may continue because the Chinese are sabotaging their own companies, as mentioned earlier. Um, So we've got chaos. I, I see a theme here of chaos, you know, in American cities like Portland, Chicago, uh, just anarchy. Uh, in the border, we got this order, which is what this next article's about, and then in Afghanistan. You know, the Democrats are essentially becoming anarchists, in my view. So this is from Joe Concha from The Hill. The scenes at the southern border are horrific and heartbreaking. 50,000 migrants have been released into the U.S., um, Biden brushed off rising border crossings, um, saying they would slow in the summer heat. Instead, the crisis is spiraling out of control. 33%, only 33% of Americans approve of Biden's head-in-the-sand strategy. So this this guy is losing it, um, losing the American people. And when Trump was president, he used Title 42 of U.S. health law to turn away nearly all migrants. Biden promised to undo that, but was so overwhelmed that he's now keeping it indefinitely. So he's doing the same thing Trump did, just like he did in Afghanistan, even if it's considered to be immoral or uh, stupid in Afghanistan. There actually is evidence that crowded border facilities are hotbeds for COVID. 18% of migrant migrant families tested positive um, when leaving Border Patrol custody. So this whole Republican line that you're unleashing COVID um, has some facts behind it. Let's see... The situation is unsustainable, according to the Homeland Secretary. Her people in the field can't continue like this. Uh, The administration's only so-called strategy is to address root causes in Central America. Uh, Nation-building of the type that failed in Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam. And, you know, I suppose the list goes on. This is according to Robert Rob, Bob Rob, Rob Rob, in the Arizona Republic. Uh, so he might be a conservative. You know, safe space alert. While the administration blathers on about fixing Central America, its actual policy is that if you show up at the border or legally cross it, you have a good chance of getting in and ultimately gaining legal status, so the migrants will keep coming. It definitely, they're definitely coming in a lot bigger numbers than they were. That's one thing that you can't really argue with. Here's an article about the census, which I helped uh, implement. A shrinking white majority is the headline. At some point, at least in most functioning democracies, demography becomes destiny, writes Harold Meyerson and Prospect.org. 
the white population experienced a stunning numerical and percentage decline. Low birth rate among whites, immigration, uh, whopping 276% rise in the number of Americans who call themselves multiracial, which I do now, because I think maybe it'll help me get a job. So even with all that, the percentage of whites, according to the census, only dropped 4%. From sixty-four to or no six percent, I'm sorry, sixty-four down to fifty-eight over ten years, and the country is clearly on track to lose its white majority at some point in the twenty forties, at which time I will probably help by dying. Uh, much of America's relatively sluggish seven point four percent population growth occurred in GOP-controlled Sunbelt states. So, the right can delay and minimize non-white political representation, according to Justin Jest. Surely you jest in CNN.com, who obviously would like to see it go the other way. But you can't assume that people, just because they identify as multiracial or even Latino, are going to vote liberal. That's the fallacy. Uh, When states soon redistrict Republicans can gain at least gain the five uh, net seats they need to claim a House majority in 2022. I think that's almost a done deal. Uh, Now there are people pushing for federal takeovers of elections through the For the People Act. That would be the Democrats. Uh, Charles Blow in the New York Times, who was kind of a blowhard in my opinion, Uh, white America can't maintain its political dominance forever, but they certainly will try, according to Charles, who is not white, as you might impute from his statements. Okay, Metaverse. Metaverse has become the latest Silicon Valley buzzword, uh, literary origins, this is art of technology, in 1992, a sci-fi novel by Neil Stevenson, which I haven't read. But there's a movie uh, along these lines. It's a Bruce uh, Willis movie where everybody is embodied in the Internet uh, where you're inside of it rather than just looking at it and you have a little avatar. So people don't have to leave the house. They just have their avatar go. You know, that works well with crime and virus. Um, now... There's a thing called NFTs, which I say are not a feckin' thing, but non-fungible tokens is what they really are. So they're community NFTs, so you get membership and you get a private Telegram channel, uh, which is some online communication thing. So you build a sim simulacra. Um, it's like a world, virtual world, where you can walk through and see see it just like you would if you walked outside. So that's a that's a thing now. Innovation of the week, NASA is testing 3D printers that can make solid objects out of moon dust. So if you want to build another rocket on the moon to go someplace else, or you want to build a world up there, which I don't see the point of, but Hundreds of engineers at Facebook are looking for a new ad model, and this is inside baseball and advertising. But basically, Apple introduced uh, an opt-out of ads, which, you know, 
you folks may want to do as consumers. But that's real bad for advertisers because you can't target ads anymore. And, of course, there's a big movement against that for privacy and political reasons. and you know, So that's going to make life a little harder for marketers. They'll find a way, though. Now, there's a thing. This, this is under health and science, and my title for this segment is Run Amok. Uh, there is an organization called the Atlantic Meridional? M-E-R-I-D-I-O-N-A-L. Meridional? I don't know. I think it's like Meridian. Overturning Circulation Amok. Um, that is actually, I don't think it's an organization. It's a Gulf Stream is what it boiled down to. And uh, that is being affected, so they say, by climate change, which will uh, lower the temperatures in northern Europe and affect the rains. And it's at its weakest in more than a thousand years, somehow they have determined. Uh, last time this happened, which means it happened before, um, the old joke, if you had this before, well, you got it again. There was an ice age. Well, you know, oddly enough, climate change used to be called global warming. It could actually make it colder in some places. Well, there's been ice ages before, you know, so... I don't get too nervous about climate change, frankly. Um, I think I have concluded at least that the war on terror is over. Um, and the anti-communist war really, in my mind, ended in 1975 when we kept uh, our humiliating final withdrawal from Vietnam. So I think those are kind of two bookends. And what prompted me to think that was a book by Spencer Ackerman, Reign of Terror, How the 9-11 Era Destabilized America and Produced Trump. Um, George Bush could have quickly dismantled Osama bin Laden's terror network, but instead chose to do a global crusade against an ill-defined enemy and used civilization-level stakes to justify a bunch of stuff. Torture secret prisons two foreign wars, drone assassinations, and a vast state surveillance system. So obviously, Ackerman is not a fan of the whole neocon thing. And, you know, I guess I'm not really either with all this democracy stuff. Um, I mean, you know, we like it, but proselytizing and trying to export it doesn't seem to work very well. Um, He alleges that any prospect of national unity in response to 9-11 buckled under the incoherence of the wars that followed. I think that's true, especially the Iraq War. That clearly was not related to the 9-11 thing. Uh, Legacy of the War on Terror is an overarching national security apparatus that brutalizes people in many corners of the globe. Well, there's nothing new about that. Anyway, and then a book about D.H. Lawrence. He was a son of a coal miner, a violent man. Um, I don't know if he was Welsh. 
I think English. He had a thirst for drama. He beat his wife. He had a horror of being touched. Uh, would have been a happier man if he could have simply convinced himself that not all of life consists of struggles to the death on symbolic battlegrounds. I think a lot of people could use that advice. Okay, Michael Haig, who wrote a book called The Midnight Library, a collection of aphorisms, lists, quotations, and stories. That I should write a book like that. But I've got lots of books that... I've written in my head, but not on paper. Um, one is Letters to a Young Poet by Rainier Maria that acknowledges the darkness and suffering of existence, but yet managed to be inspirational. That's quite a trick. That's one of the reasons I've never written a book. It'd be too depressing. When Things Fall Apart um, by Pema Chudron. C-H-O-D-R-O-N with lots of over both uh, both O's. That's those two little dots. Pema, I'm going to call him or her, is a Buddhist. So, embrace life in its totality and see hope and suffering as part of the whole. And I think, you know, all the troubles of the world are caused by emotions, not by logic. So, less emotional you can be the better off, I think. You can't be entirely unemotional, but I'm trying to work on wringing the emotion out of my psyche so I can be more like Spock than Kirk in Star Trek terms. Bird by Bird, writing advice. Um, I may clip that one out. Here's an oldie but goodie, and these are two classics. Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Uh, a humble philosophy that shuns material rewards in favor of a quiet stoicism that helps build resilience. That's what I'm talking about. And then uh, by Seneca, on the shortness of life. Um, the Stoic wisdom is timeless. So I may pick those up. Maybe do audiobooks on the car. Now, here's uh, author of the week, Cecily Strong, who wrote... This will all be over soon, which is all true. She's from Saturday Night Live, and it's about it's a memoir from the pandemic. She says writing a book uh, has made her feel vulnerable to judgment in a whole new way, like anybody who watches Saturday Night reads, but not that vulnerable. If someone doesn't like the book, it's like, well, what can I do? Then you don't like me, and I can try to make I can't try to make everybody like me. It hasn't worked ever, which is true. The older you get, the less you care about whether people like you, or certainly how many people like you, at least in my case. Now we get to the part where I don't underline anything. Films, home media, and travel, leisure, food and drink, I could care less. So I guess I am already kind of stoic. Homes, I have one I'm trying to get rid of. Okay, business. Now, here's where I get interested again. Um, Adidas sold Reebok. They bought it for $3.6 billion in 2006, and they sold it for two point five. So that was a bad, 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 bad trade. 
30% of U.S. workers under 40 have thought about changing their occupation or field of work since the pandemic began. About one in five workers overall have considered a professional shift in the past year, which is called the Great Resignation. People have just decided, you know what, take this job and shove it. Makes it a lot easier to be getting unemployment. But that's about to end, I think. Unless Joe decides he needs to buy some more boats somehow. China, the world's third busiest shipping port, shut down last week after one worker was found with COVID. So they're taking this obviously very serious. This port handles 29 million uh, I forget what this TEU stands for, but it's 20 foot oh yeah, 20 foot equivalent units. A lot, of, a lot of containers. And I've gotten into that with my freelancing work. That's the kind of thing that I would notice now that I wouldn't have noticed then. Oil giant Shell paid the Ijama Ibubu community in Nigeria $111 million for an oil spill that happened in 1967. They launched the case in 91. Only settled last year. So... You gotta be a patient person if you're a litigant. A two-timer's guide to remote work. Some people are getting paid for two jobs at once. This is what I'm trying to do. Um, so now people have three laptops, work, personal, and other work. Um, a couple of two-timers are interviewed and say they can get the work done on both full-time jobs in less than 40 hours a week, and I firmly believe that, you know. 80% of the time you spend on a 40-hour-a-week job is just taking up space. At least it was when I had a full-time job. Maybe that's why I don't anymore. So you can make up the two from two hundred to 600000 bucks a year doing that. And, boy, those are nice jobs, right? Probably if you're a programmer. A scorching rental market uh, has been fueled by disappointed home buyers giving up on owning. So, if you want to rent right now, not a good time. I've decided not to rent, but try to buy a three flat or a four flat or a six flat. Now, in Iowa, the state has no licensing requirements for insurance adjusters. So that's a potential career path. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler is hell-bent on regulating digital currencies, including Bitcoin and Ether. Uh, probably count as securities, according to him, which means the SEC has jurisdiction and aren't following the rules. So that could be bearish for cryptocurrency which I am not in. Okay, let's see how much time we've got. 20 minutes. Best columns in business uh, about China. Z, who's the head commie over there, seeks submission from business giants. Let's talk about this earlier. China's regulatory crackdown and its most powerful businesses appears far from over. According to Christian Shepherd in the Financial Times, uh, 
Newer restrictions have reached beyond dominant tech firms. China recently prohibited online schools from making profits, raising capital, or listing on stock exchanges. Uh, Bitcoin miners, they pounded. The goal seems to be to assert the Chinese Communist Party's supremacy. So that's what it's all about. It's not about money anymore. It's about power. And they're making enough money now where they can refocus. It's like rich people when they get rich to a certain point, like Pritzker, there's only one thing left, which is power. So Z is running for third five-year term and wants to stave off any criticism that the party's been captured by the wealthy, so says Bloomberg News. So maybe they're just going through the motions of this. Until recently, external events have tied Z's hands, as he contended with a U.S. trade war and COVID, but now he has a free hand. So, there's he's been showering subsidies, protection, and buy Chinese mandates on manufacturers. They like manufacturing. They don't like digits, bits and bytes. So, semiconductors, EV batteries, commercial aircraft, and telecommunications equipment... National greatness doesn't depend on having the world's finest group chats or ride-sharing. It depends on being able to make the most advanced technology. But it's like hardware, more or less. There's There's a Chinese saying that means picking up a stone to smash one's foot, says Nathaniel Taplin in the Wall Street Journal, who thinks that's what the Chinese are doing. The impact on the country's Growth, employment, and debt could be significant, so this is pretty much universally thought to be a bad idea by outside observers. It says, if these strategies to wall off Asia's biggest economy from the U.S., Japan, and Europe, that's nothing for anyone to celebrate, you know, because an open economy serves everybody is the argument. And I buy that, largely. The crackdown is likely to prove self-defeating, says The Economist. I respect The Economist a lot. Z's assault on his own country's $4 trillion tech industry is startling because the rise of that industry is one of the most impressive of all China's achievements in the past two decades. He's set off a battle in which an unaccountable state wrestles with the world's biggest firms for control of the 21st century's essential infrastructure. There's a lot that can go wrong. Here's an article by Jeff Jacoby in the Boston Globe. Uh, A bull market in virtue signaling. Now, the NASDAQ has required that... uh, It's 3,000-plus companies have at least one female director and a second director who self-identifies as a racial or ethnic minority or LGBTQ+. So they've decided they're not going to use the whole alphabet. The plus is just whatever else. Well, in the LGBTQ, at least you don't have to prove it. I mean, what would you have to do to prove? You know, so you just have to say you identify. So I could say that, I guess. Identify as a lesbian. So, uh, skills and experiences represented in the boardroom are supposed to help companies, but this guy argues that skin-deep diversity seems pretty irrelevant. 
superficial diversity implies a non-male, non-white, non-heterosexual candidate can't reach the summit of corporate governance without rules bent in their favor. So it's pretty condescending to people who are talented. Boards may not be changing as fast as some self-anointed social justice warriors would like, but well-run public corporations can't afford this kind of fatuous thinking. I like this guy. And the logic is a few studies have shown that diversity boosts returns. If virtue signaling and identity politics is really so self-evidently good for corporate returns, why, why, why do you need a mandate? Good question. And I think tying it to returns is specious at best. But, you know, to the extent that there are some people who would boycott a company if it didn't have diversity on the board. The meter ticks on Uber's ride. Cory Doctrow, I don't know if that's any relationship to the book author. Was an E.L. Doctrow, Ragtime. Uh, Uber's time is up. It's been subsidized by the Saudi royal family, so if you want to get nervous about like car bombs, Uber loses billions of dollars, yet claims it's profitable. Um, it eschews GAAP, which is generally accepted accounting principles. Um, a truer accounting, they lost 38 cents on every dollar it took in. They have almost $7 billion in a bank, which isn't that bad. As far as I'm concerned, the current CEO, Dara Kazrashaya, Kazrashaya, I don't know how you pronounce that, who identifies as male, I believe, is better than the frat bro who used to run it, Travis Kalanick. Um, but according to Doctrow, Uber is doomed. I don't know. Maybe. Pat Hitchcock O'Connell, who was uh, Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, I'm a big fan. Um, she was occasionally the subject of her father's sometimes cruel sense of humor. <laughs> so, now Tony O died. Tony Esposito, who invented the butterfly technique, uh, used to stuff his uh, leg pads. That's these guys have gotten so much bigger in the net. Than the old Johnny Bauer types. Uh, he used to pile up ice shavings of the crease. He even tried to string webbing between his legs. <laughs> I have thought like that uh, Geico commercial with the with the walrus in the net. You just get a guy who weighs like six hundred pounds and takes up the whole net. Every game's a shutout, right? Best worst you can do is a zero zero time. Unless the guy has to go to the bathroom or something. Um, that would not be good for the game. If you compete at that level, you want to win, said Esposito. In fact, I want to win when I play checkers, for crying out loud, at any cost. So, Tony O was, let's see, 78. A little younger than uh, Charlie Watts. His brother, Phil Esposito, Hall of Famer, he made him play goalie when they were kids. So he could practice his shooting. He fell. That's how Tony ended up being a goalie. He posted a modern record 15 shutouts one year for the Blackhawks. Actually, I think it was 1969. Um, and 
he ran the business. He was the business manager for the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, which Phil owned. Um, Phil said in 2017, Tony handled much of the team's business. After all, Tony's the only one who went to college. Major in business at Michigan Tech, I think, up in the UP. eh? Now, there's an article, Welcome to Cryptoland, uh, which is about a guy who came up with idiot coins. Uh, And there are scam coins that are out there. There's 70,000 of these crypto coins. Boosting one online is known as shilling. And they talk about people who ain't made a million dollars over the course of three or four days. It's all pump and dump. You have to have friends and allies. There's WhatsApp threads, which is one of these online communities. There's a site called Pancake Swap, which basically is a turnkey uh, to create a DeFi, which is decentralized finance crypto coin. Evidently, moving this cryptocurrency around is absurdly slow, uh, but it's all pump and dump, he says here later in the article. And so he went through all the motions of putting this thing together, uh, used a site called Collabster, uh, and he only sold 73 of these, yielding a small fraction of a penny in sales. So, I mean, he did try to unsell it, you know, by saying things like, you're going to lose all your money and everything else. But he just wanted to see what the mechanics of it were. Now, I am tempted to clip that article out, but I have a feeling that the legal risk is not worth the reward. So I'm going to stick to my knitting uh, in writing rather than trying to create cryptocurrencies. That's one harebrained scheme I'm not going to put on my list. So that's about the size of it. Thank you for listening, those of you who do. And... uh, Live long, prosper, wear your mask. I don't think any of you are coming to my party, so you don't have to worry about getting COVID from me. And uh, I'll probably talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.